Rashid, what would you say is the one key message that underpins everything that you'd like to cover in our conversation today? I would say it's compassion. You know, compassion is so important because without compassion, you're not going to be able to really connect with people. People aren't going to really value you. You're not going to build that really strong bond. It's really essential. And ironically, and I'm sure we explore this, it's one of the things that people often don't think about when they first think about leadership. Hello. Our guest today is Rashid Ogunlaru, a sought-after leadership coach, seminar facilitator and author, whose work spans across the worlds of business, the media and entertainment. His unique approach focuses on the personal work that leaders need to do to show up with authenticity and integrity. And for Rashid, it's all about heart. In his role at the British Library's fantastic business and IP centre, he works with aspiring and established entrepreneurs, getting them to look at themselves just as much as at their businesses. I'm Robert Diggings, and this is Highly Relational, the podcast about creating, leading and developing great teams at work, along with all the joys and perils of human collaboration. If you're a leader, a manager, an HR professional, a coach, consultant or trainer, you'll find real value here about how to elevate your work as the series unfolds. In this conversation, Rashid explains why transformational change is only possible when leading from the heart, how compassion and courage are two sides of the same coin, and the surprising link between singing and great leadership. Ambitious, determined, ruthless maybe. Isn't that how we often think about strong leadership? But are those really the traits senior leaders now need to embody? Rashid believes that the best leaders lead from the heart with compassion. One of three essential qualities we'll be talking about today. So I began by asking him how come he believes compassion trumps all the other qualities 21st century leaders might aspire to have? Well, I have a saying that, you know, with um, compassion, is even more powerful than courage. With courage, you can conquer the world, but only with compassion can you build it or heal it. When you're talking about teams, when you're talking about organisations, when you're talking about or businesses, there are so many moving parts. It can be so challenging. Take the world that we live in now. There are just so many challenges. There's economic challenges. There's people challenges and so on. The compassion bit means that there is a kind of gel, that there's a respect, that, that people feel valued, be it that your customers you're talking about, be it that the team that you're talking about. There's going to be all sorts of personal challenges that are going to emerge. And there's going to be all sorts of times where, there's, where things jar. And so compassion is the thing that can move things along. Without that, without that kind of care, it all falls apart. It all becomes meaningless. I've heard a, a kind of comparison, and I'm sure you've come across it too, about the the difference between um, sympathy and, and empathy mm. and compassion. Mm. And in that, in that kind of uh, example, compassion is about really caring for the other person, but also willing to do something to help. Mm. How would you frame it? When, when you say compassion is the, the number one thing, the number one priority, how do you define it? What do you mean by it? In some ways, it's something that you can't define and you just feel. So, for example, today I was running a team, uh, in fact, it was a leadership development course. And today we, the, it was all about um, inclusive leadership, where 
compassion's going to be important. You know, you've got all sorts of different teams, all sorts of different needs, and that's going to be very important. But we're also teaching presentation skills. And there came a point then, and almost in every event that I run, where I start talking about stuff from the heart, you know, the heart compassion. And as soon as I do, people start leaning forward. And this is both people who are very heart-centered and people who are quite cynical of that stuff. They all lean forward as though there's something powerful and potent in it. And people know when they have been cared for. People know when they have been met. Sometimes you'll say something that bypasses their head and will hit them in the heart. You know it. You know when people have treated you with kindness. Think about it in any aspect of our, of our lives. When somebody's treated you with real kindness, there's a feeling thing that happens. And you feel good. You feel valued. You feel honoured. You feel heard. And so it's sometimes something that you can't, I mean, you can define it. You can try to, but unless it's embodied, unless it's authentic, it's meaningless. So you're, you're encouraging us or inviting us to enter the, the realm of the heart, mm. not in the realm of, the, of a conceptual definition of compassion, mm. but a, a felt sense, mm. an embodied sense. That's right. And heart lies at the heart of your practice, doesn't it, as a, as a coach and as a leadership consultant? Very much so. I often say, I have this saying that um, coaching is my um, career, but compassion is my business. And I've another saying, you know, everything boils to love and compassion or its absence. In a way, if we look at the world that we're in now, it's politically charged where there are so many challenges environmentally, economically, cost of living, just wherever it is that you look. Compassion is often the one thing that often you, that you feel is not in the room. But when it is in the room, in organisations, it's very powerful and profound. I'm dealing with, working with at the moment, do some work with an organisation that are in a very challenging situation because they've got one office in London, they've got an office in a part of the world that's affected by war at the moment. And without the kindness and the compassion of the staff with each other, everything would fall apart. They wouldn't be able to do the day-to-day work because they're stretched, there's all sorts of uncertainty. That's keeping, the compassion is keeping the team together. On every single level, it makes sense. I mean, on a, on a human level, it's just wise to treat people with kindness and compassion. But actually, ultimately, on a business level, when people feel as though they're valued, they give more. But you're absolutely right with what you say, Robert. That's very powerful here, that what we're talking about is an embodied sense of compassion. That's really, really important. So you can't fake it. You either have it or you don't. And as a leader, these are qualities that you're going to need in today's world where, where there are just multiple challenges and where you've got staff who can have all sorts of different things going on and when your customers are going to have all sorts of things going on and you can also need that deep emotional intelligence which is really heart intelligence as well so help me understand how you might enable a senior team or a ceo or an md who perhaps doesn't feel that they embody a great deal of compassion maybe what's got them to the senior level that they've risen to is um, more to do with drive or conscientiousness on, on the ocean or the big five personality trait assessment. Um, very senior execs tend to exhibit high levels of conscientiousness, but very low levels of agreeableness. <laughs> and one might argue that compassion and agreeableness are linked. How, how do we kind of square that? How, how do we have strong, effective leadership that's decisive and driven, Mm -hmm. but also has the heart Mm. qualities that you're talking Mm -hmm. about, like compassion. Mm. Maybe we need to start off with passion, and then we can get to compassion. Because very often when I'm working with those leaders, one of the first things I'll ask them, you know, well, um, what led you into leadership? What's your story? Who's had the greatest impact on you and your own life? 
And then they'll usually speak, Robert, passionately about this person who helped them or saw that they got talent or encouraged them here and so on, who cared about them and they cared about their particular future. And the passion is the starting point. Now, you're going to need to find compassion, first of all, often for yourself, because it can be hard and people often are tough on themselves. The chances are that people will probably, even those leaders will probably have compassion somewhere else in their life. It just may not be that they they may not consciously bring it to the fore when they come to the workplace. So, but there'll come moments in their career where it, will be, where it will be required of them. And it's often at those most cutting edge times, you know, there's a major restructure and it's going to be really, really tough. Tough on them, tough on the people who are going for it. So there's going to be all sorts of things that will happen where it will need to be discovered or rediscovered. And sometimes it's only when when those difficult times arrive that we realise, aha, I've got to, often it might be, Robert, where there's been burnout, there's something major going with the team, somebody's really struggling and so on, or where people are at their wits end, what am I going to do? Those are the times when all the things one's taught in all the books and so on won't work. I have a saying, you know, that there'll be many, there'll become a time, in fact, many times where all the tools, the techniques won't work. Then what are you going to do? Then it's going to, the compassion is going to be required for yourself often because it can be tough, you know, to, to know when to pause, when to take a break, when to allow yourself holiday, when to realise there's nothing more that you can do on that particular thing. But they are going to need to be both two things at the same time. For me, it's, you need to be, as a leader, compassionate and dispassionate. But you need to be them both at the same time. Dispassionate, okay, who are we, why are we here? How, how can we ensure we make best decisions? But then compassionate to deliver those decisions with heart, like, a, like somebody in healthcare. I love the way you've drawn attention beautifully to the, uh, one of the uh, essential paradoxes of, of leadership, of which there are numerous. Mm. Uh, and in the work that I do with teams, paradoxical things seem to come up mm. all of the time. So you're, you use the word tough. Uh, but you've also used the, the, the word compassionate. Mm. So it's, it's the blend, the mix mm. of these two things. And it's perhaps more common for us to be at one end, one or other end of that polarity. Mm. How do we work at moving? You know, there are lots of very compassionate people who want to be able to be tough. Yeah. Uh, and then there are lots of very senior people who have got there by being tough, who now perhaps want to pivot in the way that you've just described. Mm. But how do they do it? I think it's like all things, it starts with that self-awareness. Where am I at? What am I trying to achieve? Maybe the best way for, to look at it is how I often refer to it. You've got basically head and heart. So the head is, who am I? Who are we as an organisation? Why are we here? What are you trying to achieve? What's the strategy? All of that kind of stuff. And then there's heart, the empathy, the kindness, the compassion, the care, and all of those kind of things. Both will be required. It's maybe the, the starting point might be thinking about w- which of those seeming polarities is the one that you start with. Some people, because of the nature of what they do, might find themselves in one thing more than another. They might be in a very much process role or organisation or whatever. It might be far more that there's the head bit. Or somebody might be in a caring industry or a caring kind of thing where the heart might be more naturally the, their kind of starting point. But you're right, on this journey of leadership, it's going to require both. And the beautiful thing is that if we realise that leadership is a learning journey, then we first of all accept there's going to be all sorts of different skills that I'm going to need. Then it's easier to accept that the heart stuff or being able to be really tough is really quite, but I don't see them, it's interesting about the paradox here, I don't see them, that the more of this work I've realised, I've, I've come to realise that I'm disserving somebody who I'm coaching if I'm not able to be tough with them, but I'm able to be tough with them because I care. Say something about how this plays out in the endeavour of collaboration, maybe the actual dynamics of a senior team, an intact team or mm. an executive team. Mm. How, how do you see the head and the heart playing out in a way that leads to 
high levels of collaboration, of human beings coming together for a shared purpose. Yeah, maybe this is where it will be good for us to bring another word in, which is motivation. So it's interesting, it probably comes up in your work a lot of the time, you know, Robert, it certainly comes up in my my, in my work. One of the things that makes me laugh sometimes, and I'll say it to senior leaders, that people often say, oh, Rashid, can you come along and can you do a motivational session? Can you motivate this team? I often say you can't motivate anybody until you know what their motives are. So for that senior team, for example, we need to find out what makes each and every one, or any team actually, what makes each of those people tick? And I think there's something that when we realise that there are different things that make each person tick, then we have a starting point. What are they interested in? What's their passion? Why do they come to be here? Why do they do that job? We've got to start off with asking lots of these kind of why type of questions. When we get to that, we find out what the kind of motivations are, and then we can begin to explore as a team, how do we go on this journey? So for example, I've been asked to do a piece of work with an organisation that's going through a lot of change, perhaps too much change, some of it necessary, some of it early on, perhaps Maybe it wasn't necessary. And I'm probably going to be involved in doing some of the work with the very senior leaders. I need to find out, first of all, what page they're all at, why they're there. I need to understand how well they get on, how well they even know each other. Do they even know each other? And are they all signed up to the journey that they're wanting to take the organisation on? Might even be valuable to know, let's say, if they're not signed up, then you know, then that might even be useful. Why or why not? Do I stay? Do I go? So we need to kind of just find out what is the motivation of each person. Because when it comes down to the ground level of getting the best out of individual members of staff, you need to know what makes them tick, why they're there, what do they want to do, what their aspirations and their job and their role in their organisation. Same thing with leaders. The good thing at the leadership level, when we find out what makes them tick, that can often be the doorway back into the heart. You know, I was running a session really briefly with a senior leadership team in an organisation, a huge organisation, and with the senior leadership teams all around succession planning and developing people throughout the organisation. I asked them all, why are you here? Why did you get involved? And one of the ladies said, I never, ever intended to be in this industry. In this case, it's in health. What happened was this happened to my mother and then blah, blah, blah. And we got the way in and she lit up everybody in the room, leant forward. We suddenly got to the heart of the matter. We got to the heart of the matter. For some listeners, I think that this is something that you'll have to put to the test. When has somebody deeply listened to you? When have you felt really heard? When have you felt at your wits end in leadership in your organisation or when you felt you want to leave? And then when somebody's had time for you, something powerful happens that somebody just cares. When that happens, then you can suddenly create real change. I have this saying that from the head alone, transformational leadership, which many organisations are interested in, is almost impossible. But from their heart, it's inevitable. From the head alone, transformational leadership is almost impossible because of all the politics, all the procedures, all of this, all of the people, all the power dynamics. But from the heart, if you connect with somebody from the heart, immediately there's a bond. What's that about? But we've all experienced it. What we're doing is just putting something that we all really know onto the table at last. And what I love, there are several things that you've said that I just think this is so beautiful. One is about the leaning in. You've Mm. said it twice now. They lean in Mm. as if they have loved what they've heard and they want more (laughs) and they want to be closer to Mm -hmm. each other or to the idea Mm. or the feeling that Mm. um, has started to arise. And this, that, the whole thing around compassion and passion and motivation is beautiful because all of those things, of course, they can have a cognitive component, but mm. they are also very emotionally mm. based. And the evidence is that, I mean, it's emotions, but we, we make our decisions. We live our lives through our emotional processing, not through our cognitive processing. And then, and then we reverse <laughs> engineer the thinking around the feeling. But these 
you know, you're you're preaching to the choir here with me. So I need to mm. um, perhaps think about somebody listening to this who's kind of more cynical. Mm. Um, cynic- I, I love cynicism. So there may be a place for the heart in certain situations where it's possible to really care. Somebody is ill or their family are ill or someone in the family, a parent is dying, a child is poorly. But when it comes to the real nuts and bolts of successful corporate business, Mm. which is about money Mm. and great ideas and Mm. innovation Mm. and possibly making really tough, to Mm. use a word you used earlier, really tough Mm. decisions, Mm. is that not really a place where the heart needs to be Mm. left to one side? It's a really good, that's a beautiful question. It's a great question. It might at a first glance seem so, but let's imagine in that very, very hard situation, that very tough situation, you've got people in your team underperforming. There's a whole thing where people talk about, for example, in the UK, where we, we happen to be based recording this, where people talk about performance and underperformance. I remember, many, and I remember decades and decades ago, Robert, hearing a piece of research where lots of people said that they, they feel as though they perform at something like 60% of their, of their potential. Then there's something, okay, well, why is that? Why is it that sometimes there are those issues about performance or underperformance? Is it that somebody doesn't feel that they are heard, that they don't they don't love what they're doing? They're not. They don't feel that they've got um, that they're respected. Often there will be passion or compassion related aspects of this. I was with somebody just yesterday. A friend of mine. I think was it yesterday. I was speaking to a friend of mine, and he was going for a really tough time. He's a leader with his team. He's having to go for all sorts of very practical things to move the team forward. But actually, he was having to, I said to him, what you may just need to do is that there are some people where you might need to just recognize they're actually at where it is that they're at. So by being compassionate toward them, you might be able to turn a corner. Otherwise, we often get with issues to an impasse. I see this all the time where you've got people that are trying to make all these hard decisions, but the relationship's broken down. I've worked in organizations like that with the the relationships working out where you're not going to be able to make any headway, any more progress you're not going to get those teams together unless there's that compassionate angle. I think it's good, as you'd highlighted, to sometimes be cynical about these things. But it's worth thinking about what are the most challenging issues that you've got. Probably the most challenging issues are going to be certain people-related issues. When I'm coaching people, when I'm running leadership courses, most of the stuff that I'm going through, people kind of know, but they may not be putting it into practice. Why is it they're not putting it in practice? Because they don't care or nobody cares or the care's gone out of it. Most people know what they need to do. or and Most of the time, it's that classic thing people say, they join their organisation, they leave their boss. We're talking about ultimately the human relationships are really key. And those are the things that are really, really challenging. And in order to move those things on, you need to be compassionate. There's just there's no two ways about it. And it kind of slightly... Sub- surprised me at first, but I'm not saying here at all that it's not about being strategic. You need to be highly strategic, but I meet lots of people, if I'm really honest, who are highly intelligent, but it's almost as though the minds are ineffectual because the heart component isn't there. They're quite ineffectual, actually, and it ends up just being theory because you're ultimately providing a service for people. You're ultimately serving people. You're helping them in their life in some way, but via product, via a service. So there is heart in that. And we all know when it's there. When we're dealing with a company, they feel they're not listening. We, we take our business elsewhere. When we've gone into a place and people aren't paying attention to us, we walk out. When we've been in an organisation and things have got to a certain point or we just feel as though people are telling one story to us, another thing, we will, we will leave. We'll stay in organisations if people are honest and open up with us, even if there's all sorts of challenges, if we feel people are doing things with care, kindness and fairness. 
I want to pick up on the what you said about transformational mm. leadership mm. and transformation can only happen if the heart is involved. Mm. So we will come back to that. But I want to know a little bit more about you, Rashid, because the work that you do now is based on a whole uh, mm. career that, in, in many different places, in, in different situations. So tell us a little bit about what's come together for you that's enabled you to do this work, because you're a sought-after leadership coach and leadership development practitioner. You're an author, so you have a community of people that know you and um, interact with you through reading your written work. And you're also a singer-songwriter, mm-hmm. which I can well imagine has a great deal of heart in it. Mm. So so how have these things come together to enable mm. you to do the work you do today, Rashid? Really good question. Well, my first background was a media and PR and communication, so I'm loving the studio that we're in today recording this. It's like home from home. And a lot of that had to do with organisational strategy, messaging, and all of that kind of stuff, reputation and so on. So I understand that world, understand the world of the head very, very, very much. That was my my background and the risk if we don't get lots of those things kind of right. So I started off in media and public relations. Then after being made redundant, I pursued my passion of being of singing, songwriting, and I wanted to be more successful than Seal. That didn't happen. But the singing world led me into the coaching world. I'd When I worked in media, I, I had become a media trainer. I used to train people to appear on TV and radio. And I'd always had an interest in this personal development and training. So when I was pursuing my music and I met all sorts of singers who were struggling with various bits and pieces and my friend told me about coaching, I saw a link between this interest that I had in personal development and a way of helping people initially who were singers to help them to develop. That led me into meeting far more people who were their own boss. So I I trained as a coach and that's where the link with the British Library and becoming a business coach happened. And then over time, people were saying, actually, can you come into our organisation? But actually, I realised that all the skills, they've kind of come together because when you're training people, it's performance. So I'm training people a lot to present. And actually, I teach people a lot of that stuff around the communicating effectively because that's where lots of stuff falls down. So for people to have that rounded skill. So for me, it's ironic Only now when I get to this point in my career, I can see where all of those different component parts are really, really important. And the singing bit is the bit where it's about connection, the connection bit. And that's the bit that I can often encourage people to do. And it's often the missing piece of the jigsaw for many leaders, either the connection to why to themselves and their own magic, as happened today. There There was somebody and he had all the logical things. Again, another reason the answer to your earlier question, this guy... Bright, he's on a leadership program, really smart, lawyer, all sorts of things, really talented guy, came up to present. He had his computer in front of him, he was reading his, this stuff out. He had lost the entire room. I said to him afterward, put that down, connect with people. You already have a brand, you already have this. So sometimes we've got to be able to also connect with the heart to be able to genuinely give people feedback from the heart that sometimes you have only gotten, you've got to have that instinct thing where you can just say to somebody, you know, sometimes that in, in business and so many things, there's an, there's an instinct element to it, isn't there? There's this instinct. And unless you're able to give that genuine feedback from the heart to the heart, you're not going to get the best out of people. But what surprised me, you know, Robert, throughout my entire career over these 20 odd years of being a coach is that when I deviate slightly from the on paper script and I just speak to that person and connect, that magic happens every single time. So for me, that's evidence that this stuff works. And I've done that in rooms where there's hundreds of people. I've done that in rooms with senior leaders. And that's what changed. I can deliver all of the practical stuff that they've heard and they're kind of so-so. But once I start talking about this, everybody is on page. So for me, that is the ev- that's the only evidence I need. And then they talk, they connect, 
they share, they open up, they're on a journey. So what you've said here has helped me understand something that I was taught quite a few years ago when I trained to teach the Hoffman process, which is a seven-day residential about love and how unmet childhood needs can play out in, mm-hmm. a, in our adult lives. And as part of that training, one of the things they said to us repeatedly was, you can say anything to the participants who come here. You can give them any feedback you like as long as you say it with love. That's right. And that, that idea freed up the possibility of, of saying very difficult and potentially confrontational things to people that had come to learn about themselves. And now you're really talking because what you're saying here is profound. Because then when it comes to some of the things that people find very, very difficult in business, like giving people performance feedback or, or you know, all of that stuff, one of the challenges I see in front of my career is that lots of people have not been given the developmental feedback that they need. They've not been told in a kind, caring way, you know, that here are the areas that you need to work on. Often it's not happened. So what you describe is very powerful because if somebody's coming from the heart, the care's already there, the person knows you already care about them, then you're often able to say, you know, look, I, I noticed that you did that, da 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 Here's just one thing I noticed. If you were able to just bring this, this, and this, and they'll hear it, and they'll hear it openly, and they'll often thank you. Often you'll land on a thing that they themselves have been struggling with for some time, and you'll often see them emotionally well up. So let's go back to this idea that transformational leadership Mm. can only happen if the heart's involved. Mm. How do you know that's the case? Because, because, so I'm playing devil's Mm. advocate. So I'm imagining somebody might be listening to this who Mm -hmm. says, yeah, I get all that you've said, Rashid, so far in certain situations. But the idea that transformational leadership can only happen if the heart's involved is bollocks. Mm. Because really, transformational leadership is about really, really good ideas mm. and then knowing how to execute on them. Mm, yeah. But how are you going to carry people with you? Who's going who's gonna to do it? Who's going to deliver on it? You know, when I walk into any room, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about when I walk into a room with all of these people, often senior leaders, I'm not an expert in their their world, they're an expert on their world. And for them to even listen to me, I first of all have got to establish some kind of connection with them. And that can only happen if I'm able to connect some kind of rapport and genuine human connection with them. They're not even going to listen to me if that's not happened. The person who's listening to this isn't going to listen to it unless they feel that there's something on a human level that I'm saying that somehow is vibrating with them. Now, it might be vibrating that it, it rings true to their heart, or it might jar with them in some way and sometimes like you said before the cynicism can be very valuable that hang on a minute what on earth are you talking about why and then we can begin to unpack what are the biggest challenges that you have they're likely to be things where some heart is going to be required it might be stuff to do with yourself you know you're being too tough on yourself when you're not you haven't taken that holiday that you're due or whatever or that you'll you'll come to some impasse with somebody in your team how are you going to get beyond that impasse you're not going to be able to pass that impasse unless there's some kind of connection communion conversation, all of these things require some degree of heart. What we're not saying is that all of the head stuff isn't relevant. It's absolutely relevant. It's really important. And then sometimes once we've brought a little bit of heart into it, we can then move quite fast. But for example, I'm about to do a big piece of work with an organisation. All sorts of people are going through change. And to be honest, all of the team are sick of change. They're exhausted. If I was to just go in with another lot of theory and we need to do this and here's the transformation Nobody's going to listen to me. But if I go in saying, you know what, I know, I'm mindful it's been a really, really tough time. I'm mindful some of you don't even want to be here. I think some of you have probably been thinking about, is this going to be genuine? Is the organisation going to push all this stuff through anyway? 
I'm here today for us to talk about, yes, this transformation that the organizations want to do, but I want to talk about you, why you're here, your heart, the skills that you're going to need in order to serve you for the rest of your career. And then I've got a chance. I've got a chance with this team. But if I don't bring that in, I'm finished before I walk in the door because I've been there. We've all been there, haven't we? But where we know that somebody's just simply playing lip service to, and we have switched off completely. As a leader, you've got an opportunity at last to perhaps, perhaps turn people back on to reconnect them. I, most powerful thing I ever saw in leadership, you know, was a story where there was a, a, a chief executive had to go and talk to a, a team that was going to be quite potentially hostile because it was a group, of, a whole section of their staff had been let down. They'd faced all sorts of barriers. It was a chief executive who needed to go in and talk to their black, Asian and minority ethnic team uh, conference and there was hundreds of people in the room chief executive walked in and he said i'm really sorry we failed you we failed you as an organization because of bam 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 immediately in seconds everybody's face changed it was like all of a sudden everyone instead of being one person was on this side of the room and the other they were like one working together by the end the camaraderie was powerful that would be impossible if he was just to say this is what's going to happen next who's going to be listening Oh, they might even they might pay lip service to it. Why have we got the, the challenges that we've got? I'd ask the cynical, but why why is it that so many people underperform? Why is it that people stay on longer when why is it that people put in an extra shift? Why is it that you walk somebody further down the road if they've been kind to you when they've asked for directions? Why is that? Why is it that you give somebody more chips when they've come in and they've smiled at you if you're serve in a service industry? That is science. That's science, that's just pure, that is just everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. But all I'm saying is something that often people don't say, but I've learned that it's really important to say it. I love the story about the, I'm sorry we failed you, because for me that also shows that one of the things that the heart loves is the truth. A vulnerability, mm. honestly expressed, mm. is very, very appealing to the heart. Very much so. And then you've talked about something, that vulnerability is profound because that's a humanity. What we're talking about here is humanity. We're talking about being human when, when it comes to the workplace. So tell me about the responsibility that you feel that leaders have to those that they lead to start to do the work that you're encouraging leaders to do themselves. So it may be one thing for a leader in an organisation to kind of go, okay, I will I'll work on, on these qualities of the heart. Um, uh, you've, you've named some today, compassion. You then linked that uh, for us to passion and then to motivation. So from a kind of self-leadership or leadership development point of view, you're, you're highlighting what you've come to believe leaders need to work on for themselves, mm. the personal work they need to mm. do. Mm. But how does this manifest in a, a leadership style that encourages these things in others? I think that, the, that one will naturally lead to another because I think for any of us who are leaders, we need to pause and reflect and often and ask ourselves, why am I here? What am I doing here? What's the organisation about? What can I bring to this? Or what can I bring to that to this particular role? It might happen at certain moments when you've got a new project. It happens at certain times in our career when we need to check in. So we need to do that self-checking in often about who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? And when it comes to developing your team that you've got, you've got to do the same thing with them. Now, what often happens is this becomes reduced to a very practical thing. Have you done this? Have you done that? But Who's asking um, where you at? What, how, do you, how are you feeling about being here? Do you feel supported? You know, that you can have the same kind of conversation, which is really deep and where you're going to get 
true answers about how that person actually feels, how it is that they're performing. If there, if there's reasons why they might be um to perform, they might actually genuinely tell you, as opposed to if you're just going through a kind of a script. So there are so many ways in which by a applying that little bit of a human approach, it means that you're going to be able to find out what makes people tick because ultimately what you've got to do to be able to develop your team is to know what makes each and every one of them tick individually. And then you can begin to to do that collectively and to share some kind of a vision. The challenge actually here is that to be very honest, that each and every person has a completely different motivation. We can't assume. The difficulty is there's an assumption that people want to be there or they want to be in a team or that they're going to want to, that they share a vision. Very often that they don't share a vision. Very often the leadership team do not share a vision. And sure, in some things people share a vision, like in certain things in sport, they share a vision. So if we accept that for a moment, then we can begin to deal with some of these very hard and challenging things by realizing, okay, I need to establish genuine connection here in order to be able to make these things move forward. And then that links, it's beautiful. And it's not only beautiful what you're saying, it's beautiful how you're expressing it. And it, and you're expressing it from, not because you've read it in a book, because you've seen it, because you know it. And it's coming, we, we can hear a connection that you have to your heart and your passion for Thank the you. work that you do. And, and in that respect, you're modelling what you're talking about. And um, uh, it's terrific. So for me, what you've just said links to something that you said earlier, which is that compassion beats courage. Mm. But another paradox is that to do what you've just said requires <laughs> an enormous amount of courage, yes. bizarrely. That's right. That's right. That's absolutely right. Why, so, so- why do you think that is? Why, why does it feel that we need to be courageous to be heartful? That's a beautiful question. It seems to me that when I wrote my book, Soul Trader, I hadn't realised this bit of the link. Both compassion and courage are two of the chapters in there. But, but I now say that compassion and courage are actually two sides of the same coin. Sometimes what will happen in life, it will present itself as an, an issue of courage. I need to have the courage to step forward or to leave this job or to do this or to do that or to speak my mind or what have you. Sometimes it's going to be an act of compassion that means I need to allow myself to take some time off or whatever. So they're different, they have different qualities, but they they are linked. There's a relationship that they have between each other. And sometimes it will be about, there might be some stages in your life where it's about the courage. Typically, I think that very often the courage will represent itself often very earlier in life. And then the compassion bit might come in later is often the finishing school, actually, is in my experience. So that courage to do things, to step forward or to do this or to do that might require some degree of courage. But sometimes the courage can be a very subtle thing. So for me, the courage has often shown up as, the courage to trust my own heart, to trust my own instinct and so on. That's what courage means, has meant to me. So it's a compassionate courage to say, to even present this way of looking at the world and even in business and leadership. So for me, that's the courage bit. They've said to me on paper, they want me to cover this, this, this. Yeah, and I'm going to cover all of this stuff. But that's not the starting point and that's not the end point and that's not what's going to make it happen. I've this saying, you know, that that love is the medication, it's the destination, it's the vocation, it's the liberation, it's all of those things. It's all of those things. If we think from a leadership level, what is it that's going to really resolve the challenges that we have in the world at the moment? It's going to require real compassion to, especially when people are so so far apart, it's going to require that care to be able to see things beyond what compassion allows us to do from a very logical point of view and for the people who are wanting, you know, something more substantive about that. If I just am locked in my mind, I'm, it's going to be very difficult for me to consider another point of view. If I can just for a moment 
park what I think, all of the stuff I've read and learned and so on, and just for a moment, that's that saying, you know, Robert, that I came to my mind recently. It's a funny saying that people say all the time, but we don't think about it. Can you find the room in your heart? Very often people don't have the room. What I'm inviting people is to, for a moment to try and explore finding that room. For a moment, just imagine we've got that room to consider somebody else's point of view. Then we can open, we can become open-minded and open-hearted. Actually, we need to be both. We need to be open-hearted and open-minded. Very often, if I'm just like this, I'm closed-minded. I need to be open-minded. The heart is a very good way of opening. It's a very, very quick way to open the mind. You can't, people talk about winning people's heads, heads and heads and mind. You can't do that from, you, funny enough, you can't do it from the mind because somebody's got a mindset. From the heart, you've got a chance of demonstrating that you care and you have empathy for that person and then you can meet in a place in the middle as opposed to people's two people's doctrines battling together but from the heart we can create this whole different space where we can work we can begin to perhaps resolve and solve and create new things if we really care otherwise what's the point otherwise why are we doing the stuff that we're doing why how would somebody know whether they were in a team that's doing what you've suggested or one that might be on the verge of it or might be a long way from from what you've suggested? I think if they're close to it, if there's elements of it, there's probably going to be laughter. There might be real warmth. You might even get that kind of things where people are in a good way ribbing each other, but but with but with real kind of care and fondness. You might actually struggle to spot who is the manager here at some points. You, you're just by that you mean the lead the leader, the leader of the team. The leader of the you team. You might not know. You by might watching. not necessarily you might not necessarily know. You might not actually necessarily know until certain things, because they they will probably demonstrate a kind of a softer kind of a power. Where it's not there, you're probably going to get, this is assuming people are in physically the same space where you're going to be able to see it, that people, less interaction, less eye contact, less very functional interactions between people, very limited or staccato kind of communication. Because we've got to bear in mind that communication is the breath or death of every relationship communication and to a degree collaboration so you know there's going to be a number of things that you'll be able to see and actually feel it's a bit like you know when you go into a room and you can tell that there's been an argument or you've walked into a room and you know that there's been laughter and people are getting on it's a bit like that if you were to walk into a physical room but you also do need to find out kind of you need to probably i would say actually have conversations with people also individually because otherwise sometimes you might have all sorts of things that are kind of masked you need to just have those conversations with people individually just to find out where they're at and then to begin to get a sense of where they are actually as a team, because they might even appear to be a functioning team, but it might be quite low functioning compared to what they could could possibly potentially achieve. And you've you've kind of alluded to it earlier that in fact, if you do this work and start exploring what people's passions are and what their motivations mm. are, you might in fact unearth quite a lot of difference of opinion. Mm. Is your sense that it's uh, that's where the leader needs to step in and determine that? Or is it possible, have you found, that the team, if given the time and the opportunity, can actually arrive at a place that, that is congruent and has alignment? There needs to be a clear vision of the same thing that people are at the end of the day trying to make. But they can have different goals, I would say. They can have different drivers. They can have, well, they will have different drivers and they may have different motivations. And very often that people have got their own, um, they've got their own things of why they're there. So a mistake that we can make is to try and align everything because one person's motivated by the money, one person's motivated because they want to make a change, one person's motivated because they really care about this and they care about that. Sometimes even letting that be and breathe can be very, very interesting. But but we need to have this clear sense of 
who we are and what we're trying to do that that in some way that everybody can somehow buy into. And that may allow a little bit of room of why this person does this because they want to improve this efficiency and that person wants to do it because they really care about patient care and that where they might learn from each other or care about the customer experience. That's where all those different bits of the jigsaw puzzle can help. But that, but that vision needs to be there. And there's two ways, therefore, that you point out that can be achieved. There can be the way about, okay, this is the vision, this is who we are and so on, that somebody presents it that hopefully people will buy into. Or if you've done some groundwork, what does this vision need to look like for the next chapter where if you've got some buy-in and if you've got a team that are skilled and, and respectful and so on, that you might be able to create that new vision together. It might depend on where you are and what level of seniority and what buy-in people have got. That in itself might be even interesting even to ask yourself, what's the best way for you to go about doing this depending where you're at? But there does need to be a shared vision Sometimes you can create that together. Sometimes you might be able to in a position where you can present that in a way that you that will speak enough to each individual person's motivation. But it but that's where the where it's going to require some of that work and conversations and clarity and being clear. What would success look like? The challenge here, Robert, a lot of the time is that what's amazing again on the practical set is that people don't even know what success looks like. What would it look like? Be like specifically, they're caught up purely in words and theories. We need to know emphatically what would success look like for the customer, for this person, for that person, for us as a team. Then we can build that vision. But often that's missing. We've got a mission, which is abstract, and everyone's got their own way of doing it. But we need to then have a, a something that's that we can really see. And that's often missing in the, where, where we don't have the heart piece or where it's just become um, lip service or, or other nonsense. Do you think that some teams, some senior teams can do this work on their own or do they need a coach or a consultant or a practitioner like like you and me, but let, let's not be self-serving mm. about it. Can, can teams do this on their own or or really is it for someone to come in and help? I think if you've got a good team where you respect different people with all the different skills, you might be at a point, you might be listening to this and think, actually, we can do this. But there'll be many occasions where there could be a value in having somebody outside from that team and very often outside of the organisation to do it. But a lot of this stuff you can, lots of the ground level stuff you can do, and then it might be just from time to time you need to do a piece of work with somebody external. It's not an impossibility. And how would you describe the role of the leader of a team who's doing this work seriously and wants to do it not just for themselves, but wants to do it with their team? Mm. What might that look like? In many ways, you're a facilitator. You're a facilitator for people and their careers and their pathways, and you're there to, you're somebody who's, charged and gifted with a responsibility for things for your organization, for the people who it is that you're meeting, the people that you serve and the stakeholders and all of this kind of stuff. So you're a facilitator. Your job is to really create the conditions in which everybody in your team can can thrive and where they where they feel valued. If you get this stuff right, you're going to be the person, like the school teachers that people go on about forever, who really empowered them and supported them, whether they stay or whether they go, if you get that stuff right. You'll be the person who's going to be able to evoke change, but you may well need to sometimes be out there and be courageous and to call things out and to challenge and all of that stuff. So that's where you need both the head and heart because then you're going to be able to have those tough conversations. But people will know also that you've got the heart and the compassion that you're coming from the right place when you're saying the things that you're saying around the top table. You won't be able to make those real big changes in the organisation when things are going the wrong way if people don't know that you have them and the organisation and what it's about at heart, if you have that, then you'll be able to raise those very difficult concerns. You'll be able to, before they become really, really serious. 
And how much disagreement would you expect a leader to have to navigate and facilitate to do this seriously? What, oh, so can much. You, what, what would you... Oh, there's so much of that all the time. And it is a bit... There'll be times in this journey where it's lonely. And you talked about, I think, even before we began this recording about self-compassion. That's a bit where self-compassion... There'll be times in this where this bit is very, very, very lonely. Because there'll be times where you're needing to do a lot of groundwork, getting people together, blah, 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 listening to people and so on. And you've got to realise that the people you're supporting... Some will have all sorts of things going on that means that they can't fully engage or necessarily respect or treat people with kindness or care or compassion. You're role modelling those things that you're wanting to develop in your team. You might be lucky, you might have a team where lots of people have that, but you might be one of the first people who's, who's having that or demonstrating it or, or saying it's okay to bring that back into the room. So expect quite a lot of the times with lonely things where you're going to feel as though you're the only person who, who gets that. But that's okay. You know, but that's okay because bit by bit it will shift and it will change and you'll know why you're doing that and you'll be able to build that rapport. But you've got, you know, it's a journey. journey. And and for me, that's where a really good psychotherapist or an experienced coach can be uh, enormously Mm. valuable to support a leader who is going on not only a self-inquiry, but is is attempting to lead in the mm. way that you've suggested. I want to today. say something very controversial there. That's good. That that's good there, and it ties in with that thingy. I think that sometimes I say to people, care about people, yes, care about how they feel for sure, but care about what they think. Beware. So, in other words, this will may allow you sometimes, in all the difficulty that there will be in organisations, to know that people have very different views from you, or this and that, or certain things may not align. So if you care about them fundamentally as a human being, it will mean even the time when there seems to be such huge discord or even distrust that you can still show up, you can still make some kind of progress, even in the most challenging times, without feeling as though you're going into some deep spiral of losing it all. So I know know one of the things that you do, because you you alluded to it, I think, earlier on, you do motivational speaking, and you've definitely motivated me today, Rashid. And, And so for somebody listening to our conversation today who's just like, yeah, bring it on, I want to try something, I want to do something different, whether they're a leader or a member of a team, mm. what could they do? What one thing could they experiment with or suggest that would point in the direction that you've been showing us today? I think that there's a few things you could do. One, take time to just pause and reflect, ask yourself where you're at and give yourself gratitude for the things that you've done and achieved in your career so that you show up feeling warm-hearted. Take that time to really take an interest in everyone, be really, really present with them, find out a little bit more what makes them tick. Maybe just listen to them a little bit more, be really present in team meetings. Simple things like that will make a big difference to begin to have that bond. Maybe begin to bring in some of these ideas. Could we talk about this? Could we talk about career development? Could we talk about what why we're all here? Maybe bring some of these ideas into the table, have conversations about. And maybe the most valuable thing that they can do is show up being, being themselves, knowing that who they are, their personality, their qualities have value in that room. So it does require being engaged. Be engaged, be yourself, be open-hearted, care, take time out, and take that self-care. Those would be the things that I would say. And also, if you're in a toxic environment, step back sometimes and just try and see things from the perspective of the people who it is that you're finding really challenging. And see if you can give people, give people, this is a very important, good, nourishing feedback wherever it is that you can. And even if you've been in challenging me, thanks everyone. It was a tough, it was a really robust meeting. I know some of us, we've all got different views, but I really value the fact that everyone clearly cares. Then you're on the way. You made two or three steps down Compassion Road, as I would call it. 
Rashid, thank you so much. You have shared with us some um, absolutely terrific ideas, very much um, you know, conceptual and theoretical, but you have also brought heart into our conversation um, in in huge quantity. It's been an absolute um, pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. And thank you so much for the work that you do, Robert. It's always a pleasure. The soul-searching Rashid Ogunlaru. Thanks to him for his time today. If you enjoyed this conversation, then check out Rashid's book, Soul Trader, and look out for his next venture, Soul Leader, which is coming soon. You've been listening to Highly Relational. Check out the show notes for more information about today's guest and the topics covered. Give us a like, rate and subscribe wherever you're listening. I'd like to thank today's studio manager at VoxPod, Hector Lee. Our researcher is Ella Halsell and the series producer is Ollie Giu. I'm Robert Diggings. Thanks for listening and bye-bye. <laughs>